The China in Africa podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Africa-China Reporting Project at Wits University in Johannesburg. The ACRP aims to improve the quality of reporting on Africa-China relations through reporting grants, workshops, and other opportunities for journalists. More information at africachinareporting.co.za and our dedicated training website at africachinatraining.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast, a proud member of the Seneca Network from SubChina. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden, the senior China-Africa researcher at the South African Institute of International Affairs in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, it has been a very busy last week and this week. Lots of news going on in Sierra Leone with a viral video that has just rocketed off. We're going to talk about that at the end of our show, so stay tuned for a little bit of discussion about that. Also, lots of news from the G7 summit. We're going to have two shows coming up in the next few weeks, one with Zainab Usman from the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, and then also Shannon Tiezi, an editor at The Diplomat, to talk about that. We're looking for a Chinese scholar or guest. I have sent out maybe... I think I'm up to 16 invitations now, Kobus, and I have gotten no responses. But we would like to be able to provide a holistic view on all the events that happened in Cornwall and the aftermath of this in terms of vaccines and what the, 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 the Americans and the G7 want to do in terms of their new Build Back Better World, BB. B3W. So it's B3W versus BRI. That's where we are today. We're going to have three or four shows coming up in the next few weeks on that. Today, what we're going to do is take a break from politics a little bit, even though it's very difficult to take a break from politics entirely. And we're going to focus on art, culture, and digital culture in specific. And this idea of the traditional view of soft power. Now, the United States has long prized itself as being powerful in that area. So American culture, American movies, uh, Facebook, Twitter, that has been one area where the United States has really been far more dominant than the Chinese in a place like Africa. And it's a point of pride for American diplomats. When they talk about the United States, they will oftentimes bring up our, our music culture and our movie culture and whatnot. However, that lead may be starting to erode over time, in part because of the user behavior on media content consumption in places like Africa, just like all over the world. People are consuming media in vastly different ways because of the rise of technology, social media, mobile phones, traditional television viewing or movie viewing is going down. And at the same time, Kobus, we're seeing content now come in from lots of different sources. So very interesting. At Star Times, which is one of the largest satellite TV providers based in Beijing, very, very prominent in Africa. They're one of these only Africa companies, much like Transin as well. A lot of outsiders are not familiar with Star Times. People don't fully appreciate just how big and important a company this is in the culture space in Africa. They have 300 African staff members who voice Chinese dramas into all sorts of different languages, from Swahili to Yoruba. They have 20,000 episodes across 11 different languages, and now they serve nearly 10 million subscribers. 
in more than 30 African countries. And each subscriber accounts for four or five people in a home. So the numbers are quite large as a pay TV operator. But more importantly, they're bringing in all sorts of new content that is actually gaining some traction from sports to dramas to movies. And I think, Kobus, people don't fully appreciate that on the outside. Yes, you know, the, I think... In, in the first place, I think many, many people on the outside don't think about what Africans prefer to watch at all. You know, kind of Africa isn't discussed very much as, as, a, as a big emerging audience, where, whereas I think, you know, it, it, it's the last significant emerging market, you know, for media. Um, at the same time, I think people also don't take into account the kind of complexity of, of the media mix. Um, because in, in a lot of cases, it's not simply that, that Star Times is pushing Chinese content, which they also are in, in, in large numbers, but they also, Star Times is also a kind of a vector for many other con- other kind of, you know, kinds of content, including a lot of African content. And the, the kind of growing proportion of African content for African viewers is, is, and, and internationally is also something that that should be taken into account. Now, while Star Times has a Sino-drama channel just full of Chinese dramas, they also have a Kung Fu channel. But more importantly, Kobus, to your point that it's not just Chinese content or even African content, they are broadcasting Colombian dramas, the telenovelas, Filipino dramas, Korean dramas. And that, in many ways, is a lot like what it's what the situation here in Southeast Asia is, where people are consuming content from all over the world. It's interesting that last year there was a very popular drama here in Vietnam from Turkey. And these dramas that are non-American in many ways and non-European as well, oftentimes play very well in more conservative cultures. They don't show a lot of skin. They don't have a lot of sex and violence. They have very short narrative arcs on them, 13 episodes oftentimes. So you can get through the story very, very quickly and that people find that appealing. That's a traditional trait of telenovelas. And so it caught our attention when we saw an article on the Chinese website Sixth Tone, Can C-Dramas Find an Audience in Africa? It was written by Chu Yang, who is a freelance journalist who writes about tech and digital culture in China. And she is based in Denmark, in Denmark's second city of Aarhus. Very excited to have you on the program for the first time. A very good afternoon to you, Chu. Good afternoon, Eric and Kobas. So Chu, you follow tech and digital culture. You don't normally write about... Africa per se, but there's an interest that you have in terms of seeing how Chinese culture and digital culture is exported and also what's happening in China as well. Tell us a little bit about what you found when doing the research for your story about Chinese sea dramas and whether or not they can find an audience in Africa. So when I did my, my research, I, I, a, friend, a, a friend of mine came to me and asked me several uh, web novel fantasy and she asked me if you have watched, like read any of this. Um, it was written in English, uh, in Chinese initially, and was translated uh, uh, into English and uh, circulated among the com- uh, like the fan community. This Chinese, but uh, I have never heard of this kind of a community or like this culture uh, kind of circulated through internet. So I just found this quite interesting how a Chinese uh, web novel uh, was translated and uh, into English and uh, kind of uh, spreads into like African audiences. And that's why we just dig in, into that and talk to more people in 
um, Kenya in specific uh, to discuss how this become a thing. So it's actually started from the web novel, not just a, a, a show. So can you give us an idea about what kind of dramas uh, are, be, are particularly becoming popular in Africa? Different kinds, like rom-com and uh, other like uh, Chinese old fantasy move, uh, dramas, which I find more interesting because we might think uh, for the African audiences, these kind of uh, dramas hard to relate, but they are really attracted to it. So what is it in the storyline that people find interesting? Because as you pointed out, I think a lot of people may assume that Chinese culture and various African cultures are so different from one another that a lot of people would find it unnerving to watch something that is so unfamiliar to them. But yet there is an appeal. And I do see that in the popularity of Korean dramas, for example, in many parts around the world. Korean dramas are popular here in Asia, but also in other parts of South America, for example, just in, in parts, not huge, but nonetheless appealing. What do you think about the storylines that are in Chinese dramas that are appealing to certain African audiences? Actually, when we talk to the audiences like in Africa, uh, they just think they can see the sweetness or like the love, especially the rom, like the rom-com. Uh, they can find uh, the, that kind of like a sweetness, like a, we all can appreciate. Uh, so it's not rather about the storyline or like uh, the background or the cultural thing. They are not familiar. Uh, I think certain human uh, emotions definitely like everyone can can feel or can appreciate. You know, in, in in looking looking at this this kind of fandom, could could you could you find whether this is mostly in cities or is it is it kind of like across rural areas as well? I guess that might be difficult to tell. Because everything was started from everything started from internet or like uh, the fan base, the fan based uh, novel. So we're talking about probably like the young generation who are consuming their their content from uh, like social media or internet or like uh, YouTube. That's how they get in touch with uh, uh, pop culture from other other countries. So Kobus, just before I left China for Vietnam back in 2019, it was, uh, I had a chance to go to Star Times' headquarters in Beijing. And I have a post of this on my LinkedIn page and also on our website. I'll, I'll post it in the show notes where I had a chance to kind of walk through their studios and to meet some of the hundreds of voiceover actors that are there. And it's really amazing how much localization they can bring just through the translation. And again, to see this in Yoruba, in Hausa, in French, in Arabic, in all the different languages that are that are there, Swahili, of course, as well, I think really adds to it. So it's probably popular both in this in the in the cities and in the countryside, given the broad reach that Star Times has. But the localization really goes far. And Kobus, I thought of you when I was doing the tour because a lot of people assumed that Kung Fu, which is hugely popular still to this day, and there's a dedicated Kung Fu channel on Star Times, would be the primary content that people like. But it turns out that as we're hearing from Chu, it's rom-coms and these drama series that people also like. Uh, Kobus, you've done some research previously on Kung Fu in, in Africa and the appeal for that. That, I think, still remains strong, doesn't it? Yes, I think it, it, it remains strong. Um, and, I, you know, many, many other um, 
uh, you know, kind of entities rolling out across Africa, including uh, including MultiChoice, a South African company. They always include a bunch of kung fu content um, in in their you know kind of in in their palettes and and it uh, in their bouquets. I mean, and you know they um, and it remains it remains very popular as does action film. Um, so, Chu, I was wondering, um, you, you know, I was I was surprised that at the the prominence of some some. As, as you said, some of the older titles in there. Um, can you like is are there kind of traditional wuxia or kung fu kind of work also also in that mix? Uh, so uh, one of the series I mentioned in the in the story is the, the Untamed. So it's very like newly um, kind of made, kind of like a wuxia, if you really want to call that. But uh, I do think it's belong to another. Uh, general like a fantasy novel uh, which started from the internet so i do think this might be a generational thing like a generational gap here Um, people consuming content from traditional media like tv uh, they are probably more into uh, kung fu or wuxia uh, series but for the younger generation who consuming their content from, um, like, say, YouTube, like social, uh, different kind of social media, uh, they might consume Chinese con- uh, Chinese uh, pop dra- uh, Chinese uh, dramas on the internet. So that's mainly uh, so the like the tech company in China are the main force are pushing what uh, what are getting popular so it's my this might be a different from what we can see on tv and if you're not familiar with the show untamed it dates back a couple of years it's been around for quite some time and when true was talking about it's a fantasy show I guess the best reference for a lot of people who aren't familiar with these kinds of programs is if you've seen Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, where it has that martial arts fantasy and where they, they, there's a, a superhero aspect to it of it all, but it's it's based in an, an antiquity, an ancient kind of time, so it's not a modern drama, but I think at the same time people like the action and the spirituality of it. And there's a little bit of, uh, of blood and gore in it, but not much. It's all very tame for the, the most part. Star Times is featuring the series on its Sino drama channel, and uh, and it's gained quite a bit of popularity. And again, translated into into Kiswahili as well, so that makes it very interesting. Very quickly, before we move on to some of the digital trends and tech trends that you're following in China, that we might think could come out out of China and would apply to other countries around the world. I really want to talk about sports as well, and you didn't include this in your story, but it's another thing that I've been following quite a bit during the Chinese Super League season that comes up. Now, Chinese Super League, which is known as CSL, is broadcast now on Star Times. During the the regular season, they broadcast two matches a day. And it's gained quite a bit of popularity in part because a number of either very young African players who are just starting out their career are starting in China at the CSL or they're taking aged super players into the Super League who are coming out of the European leagues, and they're getting one last shot, making a whole bunch of money and playing in China as well. But that's starting to draw some audiences to start times and to the Chinese Super League. And, and again, there's one person in particular who I want to draw attention to. Her name is Barbara Banda. She plays, uh, she's from Zambia, and she plays in the CSL. She won the Golden Boot last year. Both men and women who won the Golden Boot were from Africa. So that is helping to raise the profile of Chinese football or soccer in Africa. Did sports ever come across 
your research when you were talking to people about the popularity of, say, Chinese football? We mainly focused on uh, we mainly focused on the C dramas and pop cultures, so uh, we didn't really talk too much about uh, sports. I think that might be something else. Well, let's now turn the attention to China, which is where you spend most of your time looking at. You were a longtime reporter at Caixin. You're obviously from China. You follow digital and tech trends there. You live outside of China today. You focus on global tech and culture as well. What are some of the trends that you're seeing in China that you think might actually come out and be used in other parts of the world in places like Africa? I think something definitely worth noticing is like how the tech company are being a really important force kind of for promoting Chinese culture, like or Chinese, especially like a Chinese pop culture all over the world. Because uh, when we talk to some of the uh, like a production company for the Untamed, we're, ta- we're asking them their strategy in Africa, but they don't really have any like a promotion as strategy there. They have like their global global strategy to push their contents or to generate contents all over the world to fit more into the international audiences. So I think this is definitely a trend, like to see how the uh, production company or like how the internet company, like Aichi, they are opening a channel on, they are having a channel on uh, YouTube, and other big like Chinese video streaming companies are all trying to go a glo- global. I I definitely think this is um, this is a trend. So ITE is kind of like a Netflix meets a YouTube, but it's mostly a Netflix where it's pay-per-view. You get subscriptions. They've just launched an Arabic service, and they're expanding internationally. I think they're into something like seven to eight, maybe even ten languages. Not huge in Africa yet, but they are trying to get for local audiences here in Southeast Asia and now in the Persian Gulf and Middle East. So those Chinese tech companies uh, may in fact be the face of the content that Chu was talking about. Kobus? I was wondering uh, if you know if you're seeing kind of increasing kind of enthusiasm around Singles Day as a as both as a shopping holiday and as a kind of a media, you know, kind of window. Uh, we've, we've seen in China, you know, some some dramas being being you know, particularly romantic dramas being popular, you know, among others because they're released around that time. And we've also seen Singles Day being like starting to take off a little bit in Africa as as a shopping holiday. So, do do you see do you see Chinese companies promoting that internationally? Mainly, I think like uh, they, I I I don't think they have like a really clear strategy, like a, a particularly targeting each region. Uh, from what I have heard, uh, they are just uh, having like a international, going international, and uh, they use like a, a, the international as a whole concept to make their their plans. So I don't think like they will they try to kind of like a targeted international audiences like uh, at the way they did in at home. But uh, uh, they, uh. but I do think. Uh, they come up with try. They try to uh, including more like uh, sources or like uh, authors uh, from all the world into their production process. I think this is their pro- approach. 
Well, we were starting to see some Singles Day ads in Zambia, and AliExpress is now becoming more popular in South Africa. There was a little bit of branding in South Africa for Singles Day 2020. For those of you, again, not familiar with Singles Day, we've talked about it a couple times over the past year. It is this enormous orgy of shopping and consumerism where something like $30 billion is sold within a 24-hour period. I mean, it's some ridiculous number. And they're doing now more than a billion dollars an hour of online sales. And it's and Alibaba has been trying to bring that now into places like Southeast Asia. So Alibaba owns Lazada here in Vietnam and throughout the ASEAN markets. And Singles Day is a big thing. Singles Day was founded as this pseudo-corporate holiday to be in opposition to Valentine's Day. So they picked November 11th because it's like two sticks standing side by side against one another. So the idea was don't buy something for somebody else, buy something for yourself. It just took off so fast in China. And now again, because it's an Alibaba creation and Alibaba is now huge in many parts of the world, they are starting to export it slowly, but not in Africa. It's not a huge thing yet. Not until we probably see Alibaba arrive in force in Africa, the way they have here in Southeast Asia, we probably won't see it. Live streaming is a big trend in China. It's done in all sorts of different ways in terms of selling things. They do it for sports. They can, they do it for these celebrities who are just known for, for live streaming. They have these live streaming farms where basically they find somebody who's cute, put them up, they get an audience, they earn money from that. People give them tokens and they give them all sorts of different types of rewards that they can cash in for cash. And then their popularity drops, they get pushed out and there's a new person coming up. Do you see this live streaming trend that's so huge in China gaining traction in other parts of the world? Um, so actually, when you talk about live streaming, I, it just came to me like on Taobao or on Taobao or somewhere uh, or, or like a TikTok. Um, they have this thing like a, just uh, having like uh, people from Africa showing signs. But that was highly offensive. I mean, that was I mean, that was so just to kind of bring everybody up to date, what people were doing. And this was a couple of years ago. Taobao, which is the giant shopping mall owned by Alibaba as well, people would pay money like one or two dollars. And there was these unscrupulous assholes in Africa who were Chinese. And they would then hang signs or put signs up in Chinese, whatever the person wanted to say. So it could be happy birthday, mom. And then African children would hold up these signs in Chinese. Other times they, they said awful, discriminatory, racist things against black people. And it was just shocking. I mean, it was just shocking. Alibaba finally did crack down on it, but it took them a long time. So I'm sorry I interrupted you. I just wanted to explain what that was so people knew the context. Yes, but like when you talk about like this, this pop up my head immediately. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it, that was shocking. But that but again, that that's not where I think this is going. My guess is where this is going is more again towards the Chinese online culture, which is very unique from the outside online culture. Again, help us understand what is distinctive about the Chinese online culture that you're not seeing in Europe or in other parts of the world that you think again might be exportable to other parts of the world. If any, maybe not. Maybe there isn't anything. China is so unique that it just doesn't apply anywhere else in the world. Okay, actually, the first thing that came to me is like uh, the web novel community. 
it's a it's quite a huge thing um like within within china and、uh, i i didn't expect uh, like uh, the chinese pop pop culture could export to other countries in this way well tell us about it is that where where basically people write Their own stories, or how does it work? Like it's both. It's sometimes like people read their own stories, or sometimes it's just the like the fantasy novel based on I don't know how you call that, but like、uh, just like untamed. It's people just wrote their own story, and、uh, it's just got popular. I think it's you know the way I understand it, it became popular in Japan as well. It's 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 a it's a kind of a form of, of 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 writing,、uh, like almost a kind of a crowdsourced form of writing where people bypass publishing houses, you know, and and and, and these kind of novels start gaining gaining popularity online. Like there's there's been several of them in Japan where they they、um, they then you know ended up becoming kind of ad- adapted for screen, for example, and so, and so on. Um, um, do, do, Do do you see you know are, 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 do you see particular successes in particular genres on the online novel is you know is it is it something because I remember in, in Japan like there was a particular、um, popularity around romance novels、um, you know and 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 in particularly kind of genres aimed at young women that, that those really took off so do, do you see similar kind of trends in China the trends in China I think like、uh, first of all the the fantasy、uh, of course like untamed but also like a BL. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the uh, this uh, arbitration. It's a boy's love, basically like a, the love story between two guys. Yeah, kind of romanticized gay romance. Yeah. Yeah. For for women, for women readers, frequently. I think mainly by women and for women. It's a it has like a hit. Uh, sparked a quite heated discussion in China. Yeah, like it's that's a very interesting genre for me. It's you know it, it it's very popular in Japan, and and we see we see you know kind of one one sees it kind of like popping up in um you know in in Korean stuff as well. But, but that's not going to make it to Africa, though. I mean, right? Given the views on homosexuality in many parts of Africa. Well, yeah, you know, kind of Africa is real. Like parts of Africa is really homophobic, but it is interesting also that that there's also like how to how to put it like the, the, those kind of limits are being pushed against in Africa. I think you know, kind of in, in different countries, even as even as particularly West Africa remains incredibly homophobic. So you know, so so you're seeing a lot more kind of push from from South African creators, for example, around around those themes.、Um, but yeah, like you know, kind of I, I think I think the It's it's less the the particular theme that 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 I think makes it, like opens us up to Africa rather than the the accessibility and the kind of crowdsourcedness of 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 the actual content. Well, that brings up an interesting point about the crowdsourcing and the role of the audience. And one of the most exciting things about the Chinese content market that is, in many ways, unique is how、uh, people support the content that they want because there's WeChat in China and it's so easy to give somebody a micro payment. So a lot of independent content creators can make very good livings in China. Okay, China is a huge market, so the scale does matter. But because of the ease of giving five cents, ten cents, fifteen cents to somebody after you read an article or watch their video or listen to their podcast, has really created an independent and independently financed content creation community. And now as Mobile money is coming into Africa with Telibur in Ethiopia, obviously with M-Pesa in East Africa, and then now the new MTN、uh, Alibaba or Alipay back system that's coming into Southern Africa and on the MTN network. 
one can hope that maybe independent content creators can borrow some of this culture and this method of paying for content. Talk to us a little bit, true about what you're seeing and how that works in terms of how people pay for content in China, which is very different than it is in other parts of the world. You have mentioned like WeChat,、um, but there are also like、uh, the web novel、uh, community, like a website. Where people can register and uh, just uh, pay on on their、uh, on the website like Jingjiang or Qidian.、Uh, not sure if you have you are familiar with it. No. That's the main kind of the base where people share and、uh, like write and share contents contents like web novel. And now、um, because of the censorship in China, people are mo- moving to other websites hosted.、Uh, Overseas to escape、uh, the censorship.、Um, yeah, I think you know this this model. I think has has some promise in in Africa as well, particularly because there's so this you know it's 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 difficult for for、um, for writers to to get published in Africa, obviously,、um, and you know it's it's books are expensive, you know, so so it's it's frequently ways I think that 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 young authors can find can find ways kind of audiences for their work. Do you think people would pay?、Um, I think I think it. I, You know that that's a that's a harder thing for me to predict. I think maybe yes, but but yeah, it's it's difficult for me to say. Yeah, Chul, you brought up the issue of censorship. Maybe we can dive into that a little bit. That's a very hot topic right now in Nigeria, given that the Buhari administration has taken Twitter offline. Lots of conversations about the fact that over the past six years or so, at least thirty African countries have either censored or shut down or regulated social media to some extent. So, talk to us a little bit about some of the censorship trends and what people are doing to circumvent the Great Firewall and some of the restrictions that are there to regulate speech and to enforce compliance. Of course, China is well known for its censorship for many years. Um, but I do see the netizens、uh, who are active online have developed their own mechanism to bypass the censorship, like using Twitter instead of uh, uh, Weibo, or uh, develop uh, their own a system of coded language to bypass their their censorship over like words or sentences,、uh, such as uh, use. Uh, Pinyin instead of like words, or use uh, uh, like、uh, arbitrations instead of like a, a whole like a, a complete written Chinese words, like、uh, if you want to talk about like、uh, being patriotic, like 爱国 may maybe people would just、uh, write like、uh, A G. So it's this code, and the code is it's intended to circumvent the bots and the algorithms that are there to try and suppress the speech. Yeah. And、uh, you can see the this this like happened a lot on like TikTok,、uh, the Chinese version of TikTok, like Douyin, or Kuaishou. The live streaming they have like even more strict、um, censorship than the than than the other like Weibo or Douban. Kobus,、uh, we used to think that this censorship in China was extreme, and in many ways was the exception. I think what Nigeria has told us is that this is a very Real situation in many parts of Africa, and in given the fact that the Buhari administration just shut down Twitter, but as we talked about in a previous show, a line has been crossed. 
And maybe Twitter gets reactivated again, but it will be easier to, to turn that off later on. But these censorship issues now are much more pertinent in Africa. Yeah, it, it's, you know, kind of true. I, I agree with you. And it, it, it looks like it's, it's not just China isn't only exporting the censorship itself. It's also exporting the ways people are getting around the censorship. You know, I think because, you know, so frequently this kind of censorship isn't just, you know, as we see in China a lot, it's not only cracking down on political speech. It also cracks down, it, it has a kind of a moralistic aspect as well. So, you know, so it, it cracks down on, on other ways that people like, express themselves as well. Like we, we've seen, for example, kind of a lot of anti-feminist kind of crackdowns, you know, kind of hitting people who, who organize for women's rights on, online in China. And I think that it's a similar kind of similar kind of process where, where it's not only the censorship that's exported, but also some of the ways that people get around the censorship. Um, I wonder if you could, if you could talk a little bit to, to just about like how gender issues in China are changing, um, you know, we 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 seeing you know obviously, obviously there's there's a lot of kind of gender discussion in China. There's a lot of talk about gay marriage in part, different parts of Asia, for example. It's like the issues around the the you know kind of the 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 number of children people are are allowed to have, like you know like anxieties around the 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 kind of gender split men and women, the number of men and number of women in, in Chinese society. So I wonder like where there is kind of discussions around gender standing in China at the moment and whether you see any of that being exported as well. Okay, this is also something around the, the sea drama. So uh, we, we, can, we can see like some of the Chinese dramas are getting popular in Africa. But uh, interestingly, some of the, like, uh, the, uh, portrait, like the, the main character uh, was... Uh, like criticized within China because it's a really typical stereotypical gender role it try to promote um, but like now in within China people are doubting how their how their uh, like how women are portrayed within their this kind of dramas they don't want to be portrayed like a sweetheart <clears throat> or like a knowing nothing but just uh, kind of uh, want to fall in love or have a really like a romantic relationship uh, women in China doesn't want that but somehow we find it interesting it's uh, still try uh, still kind of popular in Africa so uh, my friend are seeing like uh, in the uh, in the in Nigeria or no in Kenya or other uh, Africa countries Probably the gender role is still quite traditional, or uh, maybe uh, feminism is not that discuss well discussed. But I'm not sure about the African sides. Well, even in China, it varies dramatically depending on the region and where you are in terms of gender roles. Obviously, Shanghai and the Tier One cities have certain more progressive views, and then inland is very different as well and much more traditional. Oh, yes, yes, yes. But uh, I just say like around the dramas, there will have some kind of like a public debate about the gender roles or like um, uh, or something are being criticized or like the, in the in untamed people are discussed like how the production company portrayed as some kind of soulmate instead of just calling it like a 
like homosexuality. The article is Can C-Dramas Find an Audience in Africa? It was written by Chu Young. You can find it on the Sixth Tone website. Sixth Tone is a English language Chinese website that is still controlled by the Communist Party, but more progressive than most of the Chinese content sites that are out there. It's one of the more interesting ones, and I do recommend it if you want to get a sense of of some of the the goings-on, especially in places like Shanghai. Uh, it was written again by Chu Yang, who's a freelance journalist who joins us from Aarhus in Denmark. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Nice talking to you, Eric and Kobas. Kobus, we were a little bit all over the map in that discussion. And I think that's what makes this topic so interesting is that you can't just talk about content without also talking about the ways that people consume it, the ways that it's financed, the technology, all of that comes together. And what's also so interesting is that embedded in all this content are new values. So she was talking about the gender roles, which are different, and also these, not quite, as you pointed out, these issues on homosexuality. So it's it's gay, but it's not maybe all the way gay in that sense, as you talked about, that it wouldn't necessarily cross a line that offends a lot of cultures. That pushes the boundaries as well. And I think that's what's so interesting about this cross-pollinization on content, which ultimately does lead to some kind of soft power, maybe not in the political context, but certainly I think this kind of content, whether it's in sports or dramas, can also help to kind of ease the tensions that sometimes exist between Chinese and many Africans. I, I think so, or you know, kind of. I, I think that, that that is a possibility, but I think it's also important to 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 take a bunch of complications into account. So, like one 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 of the issues I think is that is that the the kind of content provision landscape itself is changing very rapidly. So you know, so, so as we mentioned, like a lot of a lot of these Chinese. Um, platforms, you know, once once they're in Africa, and this is particularly true true for um, for start times. Once they're in Africa, they they end up like like distributing a lot of African content, um, and so the, the the kind of rise of African content, you know, in in the in in Africa is one story, and then the rise of African content in the rest of the world, the the, the rise of Africa as a content exporter, I think is 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 a kind of underviewed issue, you know, kind of which I think is really interesting. And it'll be very interesting to see whether any Chinese entities get involved in that part of it. Like we've seen Netflix has been a really kind of a very enthusiastic early adopter of that work. Um, so, for example, there's a series called Blood and Water, which was made in South Africa, um, that um, became number one um, on Netflix in 50 countries. And we're seeing increasingly that Netflix is producing a lot of, of content um, starring black people made in Africa, not not only for the African market, market, but also for diaspora markets all around the world. So, there's, so a lot of this African content goes to the Caribbean, for example. A lot of it gets gets shown in the UK, in France, and some places with large African populations. So. Um, so, so that's one thing. The other thing is that that a lot of the American content that has that has traditionally kind of generated all of the soft power, and I think there's there's a lot more kind of unpacking that needs to be done about what that American soft power actually means. But, but even so, like a lot of that content on is now starting to move behind paywalls. A lot of a lot of it is is, is getting harder and harder to access um, because of the kind of streaming wars within the U.S. You know, so it's like Amazon Prime versus Netflix versus Hulu. All of 
of these different entities, most of these entities have not given a single thought to to distributing in Africa, um, which means that there's an entire entire kind of um, kind of grey economy of of kind of 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 illegal kind of streaming happening. But that itself is kind of under siege, and it's increasingly kind of getting really difficult to to for Africans to get new American content, which I think diminishes American soft power in in this in this respect, especially when when you consider that they're up against not only a bunch of Chinese stuff, but like also Chinese and other entities that just stream like you know South American stuff, Korean stuff, like like a, a lot of that. So 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 I think in it, that plus the fact that so much of the kind of large scale American work is now very franchise focused. You know, kind of like focusing very much on like the Marvel universe, for example. You know, the, the, that obviously you know in, in in among young people in cities, there's 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 a following for that. But it's increasingly, you know, kind of it's you know the the American content is is facing a more crowded marketplace. You know, and I, th- I think with it also a more crowded soft power marketplace. That being said, I'm not convinced that China will necessarily fill that that void left behind from all the content that's behind the paywalls, because in many respects, the, the Chinese content has become much more bland because of the censorship and the political objectives and socialism and the objectives that they have tied in with that. So the romantic comedies make sense that that would be something appealing because it doesn't touch on politics at all. Kung Fu, another category, Chinese Super League, I also agree all of those have some potential, but anything that touches on to politics or it's something that I think does limit its appeal to international audiences in part because the the censorship and the key objectives of the Communist Party become very transparent in what they're trying to do. Again, like Wolf Warrior 2, it doesn't it doesn't really appeal to an audience outside of china it's it's just these are audience these are this is content made for a chinese domestic audience and we're seeing this over and over again that they are also under very strict political guidance as well yeah, and I mean, you know, that that is obviously highly politicized content. You know, nothing like few things are as politicized as Wolf Warrior Two. But it's the thing is that that's a kind of politics that only makes sense within China. You know, kind of so so it it, it starts feeling a little bit obscure. You know, kind of once one is outside of China, seeing it as a non-Chinese person, it's so clearly only directed at a, at a or that 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 kind of messaging and communication is so clearly like exclusively directed at a Chinese audience. I think to a certain extent that's true for American stuff too you know kind of because because in in the end it, it does American you know when when American content touches on politics they touch on American politics you know um and so it doesn't necessarily reflect directly on Nigerian concerns um that said stuff like black lives matter stuff like 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 lgbt related content and so on those are transnational political issues and it's then very interesting to see how they how they show up what we've seen in south africa is like several of my friends work in production in south africa and they have complained that that there's that there's there's really a big market for lgbt related storylines in south in south african you know in, in south african shows but they have to cut those once once it gets sold internationally so so particularly when it wants to get sold to West Africa, because West African, uh, you know, kind of there's there's a kind of high level of hate, you know, in West Africa. We we see we we recently saw, for example, an LGBT community center in in Accra being closed down, you know, kind of after protracted kind of hysteria in, in the Ghanaian parliament, you know. So so that kind of thing. There is this kind of like very kind of knee jerk hating against LGBT stuff in, in, in parts of Africa, but that's not true in South Africa. Okay, I want to, before we go, just address 
this viral video that took off last week out of Sierra Leone. Nothing to do with the topic that we talked about today, but just so big that we have to address it. I'd love to get somebody on the show who can talk to us a little bit more about it, but I do want to kind of bring it up here, you know. So what we're what you're hearing here is a Chinese employee at a at an iron ore mine, the Tonkoli Kili iron ore mine. There was a safety inspection by the Sierra Leone Mining Association that was unannounced. And this Chinese employee just completely lost his mind. And he started attacking one of the employees. And then he went off and got some kind of spear-like uh, like object. And he chased down one of the employees, the, the safety inspectors, and tried to impale him. And this was all caught on video. And not surprisingly, this this thing took off like a rocket on social media. So let me just give you a TikTok on this, uh, you know, very quickly. So it, it kind of came out on Monday or Tuesday of last week and, and didn't really get a lot of play outside of Sierra Leone media. Started to then by Wednesday or Thursday get a lot more play in, in African social media. And then over the weekend just got a fuse lit under it when none other than rap superstar Snoop Dogg, he put it on his Instagram, and by the recording of this show, it's more than 7 million views. So this thing became huge. What was interesting about the whole thing that happened, because in the past, if you recall, from last year, when these social videos started to appear anytime they came up in Kenya or remember in Kenya, there was an instance of a restaurant owner beating an employee. We also saw this in Guangzhou when there were instances of social videos that came out of uh, African residents and black residents being poorly treated in Guangzhou and discriminated against in Guangzhou. Never was there an acknowledgement by any Chinese stakeholder that what had happened was both wrong and an apology. In this case, the China Railway 7th Group came out very quickly, within 24 to 48 hours, issued a full statement, gave an apology, said that the man had been fired, and that is not something that we see very often. Then, over the weekend, what was very interesting is they had these very awkward pictures of the employee who tried to impale the Sierra Leone Mining Association safety inspector together with the that the, the potential victim and awkwardly shaking hands. And again, I think that was done by the Chinese company as well, just to kind of say, see, we're working on this. Everything is nice and happy. Most people did not get that side of the story. And still to this day, at the time of this recording, the video of the attack is what everybody's talking about. Kobus, when you first saw the video, what did you think? And what have you thought about the progression as this story has unfolded over the past week? Well, my first my my first reaction was just horror, you know, and just relief that the poor guy was okay. I mean, that could have been ugly. I mean, he had a stick. I mean, he had a. I don't know what it was, but it looked like a spear that he was very close to. Yeah, that, I mean, that could have been a horrifying incident. Yeah, and it was very close to getting nasty very quickly. Yes, yeah, so so I was I was glad that, you know, there was no bloodshed. Um, it was very interesting that Snoop Dogg then retweeted it. I mean, my assumption was that, it's, it's you know, it's not like, you know, I don't think Snoop Dogg probably retweeted it in, you know, in solidarity with African workers, you know. it's It seemed like, uh, like you know, kind of high high action, and he re retweeted it as a form of high action. It seemed like it. but And then it kind of, 
like, you know, then all bets are off. You know, once Snoop Dogg is involved, all bets are off. So it's, yeah, so it's very interesting to see it kind of going going viral. And, it'll, you know, I, I kind of expected a little bit, you know, to, to be become like many memes, to be completely decontextualized, you know, and, and for most people to, who, who, are, who would be sharing it from now on to not be aware of even where it came from and assume that it might be, you know, TV content or something. I was very disappointed that Snoop Dogg did what he did, given the fact there's a very important context right now to black Asian violence in the United States today. There is an epidemic of anti-Asian violence, of course, not all being committed by African-Americans or black people, but a lot of it is. And this kind of, and if you look at the comments in the Snoop Dogg video, it is not favorable to that. It's a lot of anti-Chinese sentiment and rhetoric. And in today's environment in the United States where senior citizens are getting attacked and the most vulnerable people are being attacked without any provocation, it is just horrifying to watch in New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and nothing seems to be done about it. I think when someone like Snoop Dogg posts a video like this without any context of any kind, it does contribute to that hostility. And that's a very dangerous time and very dangerous thing to do right now, given the tensions we have in the United States. So this is interesting how something very far away in Sierra Leone takes on a whole new life of its own in the United States. And that's, I guess, what social media can do. Yeah, it's very interesting to see. I mean, it's that, of course, is also the flip side of American soft power in the sense that, you know, like once once that gets weaponized against a particular particular kind of group or a particular entity, then then the impacts are, are felt almost immediately worldwide. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this how this plays out. But yeah, you know, kind of like, <laughs> it's like an unfortunate Sierra Leonean scene, you know, kind of taking on a life of its own. Yeah, it's an unfortunate scene, but this is one of those stories that's moving in in kind of micro steps, but very fast. And every single day I've been tracking this in the newsletter and on the website. And if this is something that you're interested in, you should definitely sign up for a subscription to the China Africa Project, because again, nobody's kind of paying attention to social media the way that we are. We've got some new folks that are going to be joining our team who are going to be again looking out for these types of videos even before they hit. And one of the things that we did last week in the newsletter to our subscribers is we said, hey, everybody, this video dropped and it's starting to make the rounds in Sierra Leone. It might be a big deal just to give you a heads up. And I got a lot of email over the course of the week saying, thank you for giving me that heads up, because when it hit big, people already had the talking points to know what was going on in that context. So that's kind of what we're doing. We would love for you to to join our reader community. Go to ChinaAfricaProject.com slash subscribe. Subscription start at just $7 a month for students and teachers for, and $15 a month for everybody else. So that'll do it for this edition of the show. Kobus and I are going to be back again next week, of course, with another edition. We're going to be talking a lot about what happened in Cornwall and the G7 and the great power politics that are now underway on everything from infrastructure to vaccines to debt to all of this. That's going to be coming up the next few weeks. We're super excited about the shows that we have ahead. So until then, for Kobus van Staden, I'm Eric Olander. Thank you so much for listening. continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show. Or follow the guys on Twitter. Eric's at Iolanda, and you can find Kobas at Stadenesk. For more information about the China Africa Project, 
And to sign up for our free weekly email news brief, go to chinaafricaproject.org.